What's up? Welcome back to the Rambling Viking Podcast. I am your host. I hope everyone's doing well amidst this crisis. I hope everyone has seen Tiger King. Um, Just so you know, that's what this episode is going to be about. So I'm actually, um, this is going to be uh, my take on Tiger King. So I'm I'm giving my take and then I've uh, gone around and I've interviewed um, several friends and family members as well to get their takes. And what it is, uh, the format is basically kind of a, at first finish. So basically once you watch the last episode and then you it concluded what were what were your takes? What did you think? And then upon reflection, you know, what, what kind of conclusions did you come to? Then we'll get into favorite character, least favorite character, and then I still haven't come up with a good name, but who, who, who was the flip-flop character? Um, basically, who's, what, which character did your opinion flip on throughout the course of the series? Maybe you started not liking them and you ended liking them, or vice versa, and... Uh, and then lastly, but not least, your Hollywood adaptation. What kind of genre would you pick for it? But then also, what? Uh, who would you cast for it? And we'll go over that. I, I don't know if I've settled on one specific person for each, but I at least have like my top two. So uh, let's just go ahead and kick down the door and get right to our Tiger King review. So this is my take on it. First and foremost, I just want to say uh, the timing couldn't have been better. I mean, I think it would have still been the most talked about thing regardless, pandemic or no pandemic. It is that um, that special of a documentary. And I, I also want to say that it doesn't represent Oklahoma as a whole. Being someone from Oklahoma, lived in Oklahoma my whole life, have been to that zoo, that by no means represents all of Oklahoma. That is what um, that represents backwoods. That's just backwoods. That's what that is. And that's backwoods, Island of Misfit Toys. That's what that is. And now, of course, it's only accurate that, oh, of course this happened in Oklahoma, but here's my thing. It could have been backwoods, Texas, and said, of course this is backwoods, Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, Arkansas, Missouri, Kansas, Nebraska, like any one of those places, Virginia, West Virginia, Tennessee, Kentucky, if this show had been in backwoods, Kentucky, you would say, of course, that's backwoods, Kentucky, just add some moonshine and whiskey to the equation, like... And so that's my thing is I hope that outside looking in people don't get too caught up on this is Oklahoma. This is what happens down there. It's no, not really, but it is it is fitting, but it's just like this is just backwoodsy for any of the, one of these places that could have this backwoods stuff and it just happened to be Oklahoma. Now, I'm not upset that it was here by any means. You know why? Because I got to go visit it, and it was cool to see some tigers. I watched a person almost get peed on by a tiger. This is my this is my Joe Exotic story. Um, really has nothing to do with Joe Exotic, and I honestly really don't even remember him that much. But, <clears throat> ooh, man, shot to the ego. I don't remember Joe Exotic. I just remember the Tigers. Mm-hmm. I remember Cowie. I, I recognize him. But we were standing next to Big Cat Cage, and they were showing us all of them. And then, you know, there's obviously a little bit of a – you can't go right up to the cage, obviously, um, because, you know, that's how you get – uh, hurt so it's still you're still foot and a half two and a half foot gap between the cage and where we can stand the outer cage if you will 
And basically, what happened there was we were standing there, he was talking, and all of a sudden, his tire kind of turned around, his tail started to lift up, and everybody, there's probably a group of 20 people, everyone takes, just gets away. I mean, you're talking, they get 15 feet away and, like, just clear. Except this one dude who just standing there listening, like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, looking at the cats, like, What's going on? And all of a sudden, everyone moves away, and he just go, and he just stares at stares at us like a cow stares at you. Just y'all, what's up? And thank goodness someone goes, get out of the way! It's about to pee, and grabs him. And I don't know if his wife, friend, or whoever, but grabs him, moves him out of the way. And I mean, sure enough, within a second to two seconds of him being moved, like right after he got moved, boom, the spray begins, and. This this lion tiger I think it was a lion actually this lion just let loose and oh my gosh it was you think we all know how bad cat pee smells well now just magnify it ten times over and that's what it was but that was my funny little um, Joe Exotic story so let's start talking about what we came here to talk about and that's the documentary so first and foremost I just want to say on the level of cr- uh, of crazy. I, my summation at the end of it all was like, holy crap, you couldn't have, you couldn't have tried to formulate something, a better series than that. Like that, you couldn't have worked and scripted and written and gone and written something and written something that crazy. Like that's like eastbound and down on steroids. I mean, meets Joe Dirt. Like it is just absolutely ridiculous, insane on so many levels. But uh, it, it's honestly it's why it's so popular. It made such great TV because the, that's the best part about all of this. It is completely and totally true in these completely real people. And I think at the end of the day, the unfortunate effect of television is it gets like um, it gets sensationalized, and we do forget on a lot of level. There's people's lives involved. Now I think uh, there are a lot of people involved who are crazy or scumbags or one or the other, and there's some few redeeming people in the midst of it. Mainly just the workers at the zoo. But all in all, there's some sleaze bags in there but my initial reaction was just like holy crap this was wild they couldn't have they couldn't have predicted it was going this far when netflix started shooting because they i mean it looks to me like they followed him for five six seven years i don't know how many i could have looked this up but i don't really care to um so i mean my initial reaction was just like wow i i can't believe that all just happened in one series so pretty incredible, and then of course what's come out since is um, Wondery has. You'll probably hear me mention this in some of my other interviews, but Wondery has uh, a, a podcast series that they've released on Tiger King, where right after um, Saf's arm got bitten off, they uh, this guy went down. He heard about this place, and he went down, and he did a series of interviews, basically in conjunction with the series being shot in a lot of ways. And so he has there's there's other details because he interviews like Carol he interviews Rick Kirkham, um, the producer. Um, if you don't know who that is, but he there's a lot of extra small details that get thrown in there that aren't in the documentary or the series on Netflix, I should say, and that are really telling and help open open your eyes up to the greater context in all of this. And it's really interesting. I recommend it. I think it's only six episodes, or maybe on episode four or five. But you should go check it out. And there's a couple little bonus episodes they call. It. I was like, just make it just it's just another episode. Just add it in. But whatever. I think bonus just appeals to our sense. Like, oh, bonus. It's extra. Yeah, gets you a little excited. So, um, but looking at the series, first conclusion is 
everyone is crazy. Every single party involved. In terms of the players, Doc Gantle, crazy. Carol Baskin, crazy. Howard Baskin, even crazier in my opinion because uh, apparently this dude is well-educated. Then, of course, Joe Exotic, crazy. Everyone's favorite crazy, I think, in a lot of ways. But, I mean, it is just everyone in their own right is crazy and no one is sane. And so, like, trying to come out of this and being like, oh, I'm siding with this person or I agree with this person in that way, it's it's more like sitting back being like, I... Okay, you guys are all very crazy. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go eat a sandwich now. Like I'm. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna make a sandwich at home. Lock my doors and buy an alarm system, cause this is whack. Like I love tigers as much as the next person. My first thing was, man, these poor tigers. Like at the end of the day, that's really what I think. That's really what it comes down to for me in a lot of ways. Is like these animals that are caught. Like these that are just around and here in the midst of this human mess. Now, the big conundrum with the whole tigers and big cat thing is once they've been domesticated and come accustomed to living in cage life, they're in a lot of ways you can't really release them into the wild because they don't know that that's not what they were brought up. Sure they have their natural instincts, but they're not going to do well in the wild. Now, does that mean that you shouldn't do that or that there shouldn't become that you shouldn't design transitional uh, places instead of just like come out and like with big cat rescue that's my kind of pet peeve there is it doesn't feel like there's any transitional work going like yeah we want to try and re-release these animals and so we're going to slowly condition them and build it up and and work it that way it's like no we just save the cats and keep them here and you can still come pay us to come look at them but we just don't like breed them but we still have them and i think a lot of people so a lot of people are pointing at the fact that carol used to breed and sell and buy and stuff like that and i'm like yeah that's true and so like she's you know she's a hypocrite who does she think she is she's better than him i was like i mean i don't think that she is better or worse than joe or doc but i do think that she is um I don't think she's just as bad necessarily. Like I do think there is something to say, like she was in that and she decided to stop. Now I still think her holier than thou approach is not correct because to me, what you would do if you were truly a rescue, you would try and rescue and re-release. Now that may be a super arduous process. I have, I'm running off zero, like real background expert information here, people. This is just my opinion. So just roll with it. Now I'd love to hear your opinion on my opinion and we can have a discussion about this and that's pretty interesting. But to me, a true rescue is you take them out of bad situations. Now, not every cat could be under that potential to be able to be re-released, meaning health-wise. There could be serious problems. They could be super old. Like, for example, I mean, once cats get so old, their teeth wear out and they get kicked out and they can't really do anything and they just kind of slowly die. Um, the lion that my uh, that my uncle shot with recurve bow in Africa, that was his case. He kicked out. He was prideless. No pride. He was... Um, Super, super old, teeth worn down so much, blunted so much that couldn't even break the skin of like a donkey or an antelope, like tried to bite into it and couldn't break the skin. And so at this point it was like, oh, you really don't have any teeth, like you can't really do much. And, and so they, you know, there was proper regulation there, but uh, that was the lion that my uncle was allowed to hunt. And I think that's what get lost. Uh, quick side note, that's what gets lost in a lot of these like big game rare species hunting is they think, oh, you're just going out there and just killing like these healthy animals and you're destroying the population. It's like, no, what happens in natural 
in the natural world, once you get so old in a certain point in a lot of, in a, in a lot of species is you get cast aside and you get thrown out and you just slowly wear away. And at that point, it's like, there's no, there's no real life for that, that animal to live. And I will say on top of this too, the, my uncle, this was more of a trophy hunt, but check this out. My, none of the animals wasted. My uncle donated all, basically all the meat from the carcass and everything that everything that could be used was given to locals there to be able to support them and support their lives. So that's meat that they could use for food, different materials, what, what, whatnot. And he just kept what was needed for basically the prize of it all, um, to be, um, stuffed and taxidermed and whatnot. So, and that's what, that's what he kept. And so it's like, and I think that's the ethical way to do things. But anyways, back to this, back to Tiger King. I, I do, I legitimately, a lot of these series, when you get into these, like, reality shows and series, they're, they're, it's over-sensationalized, like, they try and make it exciting, and to me, a lot of times, just bad television feels forced. This was all natural, and that's what makes this, to me, one of the greatest pieces of, of uh, media that I have ever seen, and probably ever will see. Like, it is probably, it's going to go down as one of the greatest, as far as reality series, reality series, I, I, I think, in general, that I have ever seen. And I think that's why it's so popular is it's just genuine and real, unlike so much TV. But I, one of, what I've been saying all along, too, is these are all just crazy cat people to the ultimate extreme. Like, like just how NFL, MLB, NBA, all those guys, are they're, they're, sports, they're sports guys, sports people that, uh, that love to play their sport just to the ultimate extreme. They're hyper competitive and very talented. And so they ended up in, you know, the NBA where everyone can dunk the average height is six, seven. This is, it's the same thing for this, for doc, Carol and Joe, except in terms of just crazy cat people. We all know crazy cat people. Eh, it's like whatever. They just got a bunch of house cats. These are the crazy cat people that love cats so much that they went for the ultimate and now have the ultimate. And they have these giant, giant cats who are in, in big cat world. And so it's like, ah, you're just crazy cat people to the ultimate extreme. And they're all crazy. And they're all right. Carol likes to be the, the nature love child. Where my little, uh, <laughs> what do you even call it? Where's her little flower headband thing all the time with these flowing colors. Doc Antle basically believes he's a divinity. Uh, he is divine and he is, uh, <laughs> he is enlightened. There we go. That's the term. And then Joe's just, gun-toting homosexual who loves him some big cats and loves him some freedom. Um, now, he he's not a homosexual. He is, what is the term? He's the term, I'm going to look it up real quick. You know what I'm talking about, though. It's the term for gay men who like straight men. So, that's whatever he is. Who like straight men. <clears throat> but nonetheless, that's my, I think that's a great way to sum it up and kind of, give it perspective like it's the best of the best of crazy cat people if that makes any sense and nope that is not the word that i want hmm this is these google results are not um maybe kids health sexual attraction and orientation all right. 
Okay, no, it doesn't pull it up. I know there's like a specific term for it. If you know it, send it my way. Google is giving me all weird results to like actual real resources. I'm like, I just need to know what you call gay guy who likes straight men, like specifically and goes after straight men because I know there's a term for that. If you know it, send it, please. Now, because I guess he technically is a homosexual. He likes men, people of the same sex, but he doesn't like gay men. He likes straight men. So interesting. But uh, let's talk conclusions here in the show. So let's talk. So I, I think the show was amazing. I think it's great. I think it's not representative of Oklahoma. Minus the scene where he's on his four-wheeler and says, and he has a radio, and he goes, that's a real-life tornado. There ain't nothing we can do about that. And he just rides off on his Raptor, his four-wheeler. And I'm like, yeah, that's pretty much Oklahoma. I mean, just insert person on front porch going, oh, there ain't nothing we can do about that. Get in the shelter. like, And that's what we do. <laughs> Now, I don't necessarily say it like that, but that is that that part was Oklahoma to a T, at least in terms of tornadoes. And so if you're wondering what that is, I think I mean, and I can have a good laugh at that. Like that one's that one's real accurate. But let's talk. Let's talk conclusions here. So big conclusions is Carol Baskin. Did she kill her husband, her her ex-husband? I should say her late husband. I would. I'm gonna go with there was foul play on some level. I'm. I'm kind of taking the conservative approach. I absolutely wanted to say yes. She killed him, and then sure she fed him to the tigers. Can't come to any real conclusion, but uh, I do think the tigers are a pretty foolproof way to dispose of someone's body because uh, those animals they will eat even the bones. Now it's not say, oh, there might be some bones left over. And it's like, well, you could just dissolve those bones in some sort of chemicals or, any, or something like that. And then it's much easier to dispose of just some leftover bones than an entire person, I will say. So not talking from experience either. either. This is just conjecture here. But I think she was involved with this in some way. There's too many red flags here. Now, ultimately, what is surprising is how this came away as like, unsolved basically because so a couple there's a couple factors at play there is that part of me that wishes that this was all he faked his death and he's in happily in costa rica living his life away but she received his entire estate so i don't think that actually happened unless he had some unless he just pulled out a bunch of cash he had with him or there's some offshore account that he didn't know about and his secretary didn't know about or his assistant i should say and that's totally possible now i but I don't. I don't think that happened. I think. I think there's there's evidence of foul play in the fact that his van was there, briefcase was there, left at the airport, but there were no flights that were recorded or anything like that. And of course, you wouldn't record the flight if you're trying to fake your death and leave. However, then you start looking into subsequent things where the van was not kept at the scene of the missing persons, so it was moved immediately and then checked a couple days later on the property. And first and foremost. It's everybody knows that in these types of cases, missing persons and you have one spouse who's rich and you have clear evidence where he tried to file a restraining order or a protective order against her and they wouldn't and they denied him because they said it wasn't uh, there wasn't there wasn't an immediate threat like this wasn't credible enough, basically. And I thought that was very interesting. So your first and foremost suspect on missing persons, even though she called in is you. And it's always, it's always that way though. If I'm at home, say, say if I'm at home and someone, whoever is say my wife ends up dead and I'm here or I showed up and she was here and I make the call. I am suspect number one, just out of uh, proximity. 
reasoning because I'm going to know the most about her whereabouts, her going and coming, and it's also my house and that sort of thing. And so, and and the thing that gets me is people people get so upset, and you're so emotional too. I, but if you can if you can accept that that's the way it goes, then if you unfortunately end up in that situation, you can handle it and be like, I know this is what you have to do and I'm just going to deal with it and that's fine. But so many, it's always the classic line of, well, I love them. I would never do this. I would never do. And I, I think for the most part, people agree with that sentiment, but this is just the procedures we have to follow. And that's just me being matter of fact. But I think that Carol Baskin, there was foul play involved with her husband's disappearance. And I think she absolutely had something to deal with it. Coming coming from a very broken home, which if you listen to that Wondery podcast, you get some really good insight into her her home life coming up. And, you know, she left at 15. Uh, yada, yada, yada. She got into a, a very abusive relationship with a guy. And so she's had nothing but terrible traumatic experiences. And now she's running into a situation where she's at odds with her new husband and who they, you know, she found someone who was right for him, but she starts, she, she kind of sees the light and like, oh, the breeding and selling this is bad, but he's like, no, I don't care about like, I'm still, still all in for this and she doesn't want it. And it sounds like they got into some pretty gnarly arguments because they're both, they're both pretty strong personalities. And, uh, and so I think suffice it to say, she has that air about her too, where like from the moment she came on screen, I was like, I don't trust you. I just, she, she, because it's one of those where it's like, you're clearly, I think this is how you are, but at the same time, you like to be the, the, the hippie girl who's all about love and, you know, I care for the animal, very, you know, trying to be soft spoken and reasonable sounding. And that's why she appeals to a lot of people. Yeah. But I think there's plenty of people out there who go, "Mm, you're crazy and cynical. You can see, you just get this feeling about her and, and. The documentary did such a good job at not necessarily jumping to conclusions or trying to push it one way or the other. They obviously played it like, here, we're going to show you this, and then we're going to show you this about everybody, and then we're going to show you this about it, we're going to show you the good side, then the bad side, then the controversial side, and we're just going to kind of leave it open-ended because that's what this entire situation is, and that's what I appreciate about this documentary. But from the get-go, didn't really really like her. Um, So I I think there was some foul play, and she played a hand in her husband's late husband's disappearance. And the biggest thing is, I mean, these situations always get sticky, but you, he goes to his, he goes to his assistant and says here, in case I disappear soon, use this. And he wouldn't say, if he was trying to disappear to Costa Rica, he wouldn't say, he wouldn't do that. He would just disappear to Costa Rica. But then the fact that it happens shortly after that he disappears, and she's like, oh, crap, I forgot about that. Now, the unfortunate part is, you know, they locked up the office, they locked up the gate to get into the office, and all those locks were cut, and then, and the the will and everything was gone and gone missing, and the moment you have people having having to do that sort of thing and try and preemptively do it, I mean, day number one after he could be proclaimed dead on a missing person, he was... There's so many factors. It's all circumstantial, and you, there's no there's no hard evidence here. But there's so many factors where it's like, okay, it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, smells like a duck, like it's it's a duck, you know. But it's one of those unfortunate things where you can never fully prove it, and we'll probably never actually know unless she's on her deathbed and she's about to. And she goes, "I killed him, and <laughs> I killed Don." Then I then that would be I could see that as being kind of funny. So not funny, but. That would be my hope because if I was that person, 
I mean, I guess you could take it to the grave, but like I'm dying, so it doesn't matter what happens from here on out anyways. And if I have all my assets in order, boom, drop the bombshell and we gone. But that's just me. Next, I do think I don't I don't think Joe was in the right. First of all, I think I do I think he got pushed. I think you had freaking uh, James Garrettson, sleaze bag, Jeff Lowe, sleaze bag, Alan Glover, Jeff Lowe's right hand, sleaze bag, all terrible people. And I think it was the wrong move to let Jeff Lowe get involved with the park, but at that point, Joe was so desperate that he allowed the worst kind of people who ultimately would betray him. Because he, he had a real ego thing about, yes, he loved to be the center of attention, and he uh, Joe was one of those people who ultimately wanted to be famous, and he was really willing to do kind of anything and everything. He was a sensationalist, loved being the center of attention, loved having this cool stuff, because, and I think it ultimately stems from a insecurity, meaning he was worried he couldn't get there, get that on his own necessarily, like just by being him and living out like a normal person, and he really didn't want to ever be normal anyways, but, I mean, then he ran for president, he ran for governor of Oklahoma, he did all sorts of things like that, and so... To me, I just, you know, it's those people so much are just so willing to let everybody in if they think it's going to give them an advantage. Now, that's the downside, too. It's all about Joe. It's all about Joe. I think I think at first he started reasonable, but it ultimately was all about Joe. And that leads to your downfall. You, you think you have all these friends, and then you realize when push comes to shove, everybody's going to be on their own, and you are on your own, too. And even your husband's. Who are turned to say like, look, I'm actually straight. You, I've been, I've been hooking up with the secretary. She's pregnant, so I gotta go, dude. Real life is hitting me. Like this was cool. I enjoyed messing around, and you give me BJ's and stuff. But uh, I gotta go. And I think also all of his relationships were purely transactional, meaning the guys were wi- willing enough to buy in because twenty tigers, right? I'm not gay, but twenty tigers and. You give me gifts and uh, I can meth around, weed around, and shoot guns. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in. All And here's my big question is, how much did they have to actually delve into, like, the gay sex? Were they just, I mean, was it just like... Was I, I? I almost want to say for the for the men, it, for, the, for the straight guys, his husbands, it had to be like Joe was doing all... If, the really, you know, gay stuff. He was blowing them. He was being the catcher. But I really don't want to think about that too much. It's kind of gross. But just, sorry, a little side thought for you there. And I don't think he was in the right. I think, I don't think the hitman charges, though, were accurate or relevant at all. Um, ridiculous. So, two, my problem with that is, you had... So James Garrison does shady stuff. He's a shady dude who does shady stuff. Jeff Lowe, just a shady dude, sleazebag con man. And Garrettson basically gets approached and he says that they're going to get him for this exotic animal charge on having a lemur, which I guarantee you they had so much dirt on Garrettson. It wasn't hard to find that they were like, hey, man. And even if they didn't, though, he's the type of person who's like, wait, what? No, no, I got you. Let's 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 end this fool. And then also he brings Jeff Lowe and Jeff basically is like, all right, James, you and me will take this over. I'll actually take over the zoo. We can get this cuckoo man out of who's driving this into the ground and going to be his own undoing in a big way. Let's get him out of here and gets Alan because big thing is Alan Glover and Joe hated each other. 
That's the thing. And then that the, they, they never like circle back to that. The fact that those two hated each other. And so they ended up having all these casual conversations about killing Carol. I think Alan was just really there. And I think at some point they just kind of set it up like, yeah, let's let him follow through with this and kind of egg him on a little bit. And not to say that Joe was right by any means, but when you have people around you who are willing to indulge these crazy thoughts, eventually you might end up indulging yourself in these crazy thoughts. And then the whole like... I think one of my favorite parts, though, is has to be Alan Glover's recollection of what happened, because he claims to have none. I think he, I think he knows. I think he has a decent idea more than he's leading on. But at the same time, I can totally believe that that dude took three grand, just ran east, just drove east, and just partied his brains out and doesn't really remember, and then ended up back here and is like. Yeah, I guess, you know, he only gave me three grand. I remember that. And yeah, I guess I never made it to Tampa. I just partied out pretty much. And it's like, <laughs> yep, yep, that that checks out. Uh, but, <laughs> and I just, I couldn't help but laugh at that. I was like, mm-hmm, I totally could see that. Like, you just party out so hard that you really don't have any recollection of whether you're even in Tampa. But the problem is, <clears throat> and then once you see it unfold too, I think you see this happen is in our justice system, and I, I'm not saying this is good or bad. I'm just going to report it this way. I definitely have some certain feelings both ways about it, but I do think it's on, on some level that sometimes things get egged on enough just so you can put a guy behind bars and get the conviction because you, you think the guy, yeah, sure, isn't right necessarily, but he's not necessarily totally unlawful to the extent that he's able to go to prison, and so you kind of help push him to that point. Now, because I believe that everyone is capable of terrible, horrible things, and everyone everyone has that inside of them. However, 99% of people or 95% of people, whatever you want to say, don't indulge those thoughts. They say, oh, no, that's crazy, or oh, no, that's bad. We never do that, and because they have some sort of compass, moral, ethical compass, and that where they say, yeah, I would never do that. Now, there are that small population. There, there's obviously the people who do say, oh, yeah, I'll do that. I'll indulge it. And that's fine. And those are the criminals. And they deserve to be behind bars. And then there's this gray area where people say, yeah, they like to talk about it and kind of indulge it, but they're not really ever going to fall through. Like, it's kind of like those people who always talk about, like, those people who are depressed and talk about suicide but aren't really serious and they tell you, you know, you can tell the difference because you can say, what is your plan? And if they don't really have a plan, they just say, I want to die. It's like, you know, you know, for the most part, they're not super serious about it. It's more of an attention grab, more of a, you know, you're just really sad and this is how you think and feel versus those who actually have a plan. And it's kind of the same thing. Like, yeah, you just talk about it, but it's like, yeah, you actually don't really have a plan. And, but if people indulge you in this and then give you an avenue, you're crazy enough. You just might say, oh, yeah, sure, why not? You know, and yeah, let's do this. And then they get you riled up enough that you do it. And it's almost like someone being like, well, here's a gun or, you know, this is a really effective way of killing yourself. It's like talking to someone who's, you know, talks about suicide but isn't really serious, doesn't have a plan. But then you give them all sorts of value. You give them, you let them be around sharp objects or you give them a gun or you talk about, you know, ways that people hang themselves or effectiveness of killing or something like that. It, it eggs on just enough to get them to that point. Now, it could be saying, you know, I'm testing them, see how far they're willing to go. But then you're also playing with fire. And I think that's a large part what kind of enrolled, un, unraveled here. And... <clears throat> And I think once we see the charges start to come out, all of a sudden they say, 
they're not just getting him on this hitman charge because once it becomes like we can get you and, and they're like, oh, he owns an exotic animal park and all this stuff. And I'm sure they talked to Carol and she said there's all these claims about, you know, he killed tigers, he mistreated animals, he abused animals, all this yada, yada, yada. There's illegal activity. I think it then became grounds of like it's the whole we're going to take you down with everything we got because we want to make sure we get you. Because I think in large part, a lot of times you'll come at you with five or 10 charges on things and then maybe only three stick, but they still got three to stick. It's kind of the shotgun approach, if you will, to, to, to prosecuting here. And that's what they did because the hitman stuff, mm, the murder for hire, I think, I mean, it is part of the reason why he ended up getting 22 years and he's probably going to die in prison, but they, they got that. But then really the multitude, the ma- the mass of the charges, most of the charges were on like animal cruelty related stuff in regard to killing animals, selling animals, yada, 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 all that stuff. And that's what really got him. Now, I mean, the jury just found him guilty because he is absolute cuckoo crazy. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that like, I'm not saying I don't think he shouldn't, I don't think he should be out of jail, but I also am not saying like, I don't think he should be in jail necessarily for this long period of time. And I think that's kind of where a lot of people are falling. They don't, they maybe don't think he deserves 22 years, but like five years, 10 years, I think 22 might've been a little excessive. I honestly think this dude, you need, he needs to be stripped of all that and you need to make him like, he needs to go and mandated therapy and get help because I think he's mentally ill. I think all these people are, but that's fine. Now, the interesting thing is, too, is since he's gone down, he says, I'm taking all you down with me. So I think Joe deserves to be in prison because I think he did take it too far. And it is on him as far as the type of people he allowed in his life and allowed to speak and egg him on in these certain scenarios. And I think that's where I might differ from some people because they say, look, well, yeah, they just kind of let him on and got him to got him to that point but they're I mean for doing that they're wrong and so you know it's not his fault I say it's not his it's not his total fault but it's it's enough of your fault as a human to you have to be self-aware enough to know ah these aren't the right people to be around they shouldn't be in my life like oh no like you're not you're going too far even no matter you know no matter how kind of off the walls you are you should be able to understand that like when you have bad people in your life and not be so openly trusting. But that's the problem is Joe's main focus was him and himself and how can I keep myself relevant and famous and how can I do this? And then, and then it became all just a vendetta against Carol Baskin. And that's where, that's where it really went off the rails. So uh, that's my conclusion on Joe. Um, now let's move on to Doc Antle. Doc Antle, he is kind of guy with god complex first requirement is you need new boobs new name new boobs that's what you get when you come to doc annals place uh, you're obviously a young hot thing too i think this guy i'm sure there's shady stuff this guy's done but this guy because his his craziness isn't so eccentric i mean it is but it it went kind of the mystical route and the metaphysical route and he thinks he's divinity and you know it says bhagavan means friend of god and it's like oh friend of god basically you're so you're you're akin to divinity like you you you're you're saying you're god but without totally saying you're god you're like i'm i'm like transitive property god like i'm i'm friends with him more buddies with him i'm not i'm not god but I'm basically the same thing because we're best friends. Like we sit, we sit at the same table. We're on the same level. You know what I'm saying? I went a little Trumpy there. I don't know why, but that's, that's doc. And I, I did hear through the grapevine that apparently his place got raided and he, he's a cult leader. And so he keeps it 
close to the thing, but he's so worried. He's like, I got my, he, he understands he has a good thing going and he really doesn't want to mess with those other people. Yeah. If someone kind of tries to step on his toes, he'll stand his ground, but he's smart enough. I shouldn't say smart enough. He's, he's aware enough in, in, in self-preservation that he takes, I think all the, all the right steps. And so he's just kind of there. He's crazy in his own right. I don't think he necessarily needs to be shut down. I don't think he necessarily needs to do anything. He was just kind of there, and he was just that third cog in this triangle that was just crazy and knew them both. And and it turns out, oh, yeah, he runs a cult and has a god complex. So that's where I stand on Doc. Let's shift gears and talk sleazebag Jeff Lowe. This guy, you can tell, hasn't ever really done any hard work in his life. He manages to get other people to do work for him. He's a sleazebag. Case in point. He gets these young hot girlfriends and the comments he makes that are absolutely awful talking about, I get to choose the nanny. And it's just some hot young thing that he's going to hook up with while his, while his current girl is pregnant. And then he talks about his current girl getting back in shape. Now, I will say this. It kind of annoys me. So local news here did a short little bit on Jeff Lowe now, like did a recent bit, went down, visit him. He's had his baby. He's got his girl down there. He's talking about the zoo. They're building a new zoo. It's going to be great down in Thackerville. And they it, they try and make him look good. And honestly, I think we see enough in the documentary. Understand, this guy's not a good guy. He's not. He is a tool bag, a total sleaze bag. And he, he's definitely a con, con man in so many ways. And he's definitely been involved in so much shady stuff. The fact that his right-hand man is, is a guy like Alan Glover tells you everything you need to know. Alan Glover's just dude out here just working. Like, Alan Glover just does all the work that Jeff will never do because he will never get his hands dirty. And you see that at the end of the documentary too, where the guy comes in from like Ohio, wherever he's at. And he's like, yeah, I'm done with this guy. I'm out here doing all the work, doing all the hard work. You just sit back and come in and observe. It's like, yeah, from the moment that I proverbially met Jeff Lowe, I could tell that that's the type of guy he is. He sits back and manages, but he, and he'll offload work and he'll say, well, we need to do this. He's the big ideas guy. He's the kind of guy like, oh, I don't need to trouble myself with this mundane, like, you know, digging this hole or whatever. Find someone to do it. I've got bigger things to worry about. And that's the way he sees himself. He's important. He's a big deal. Drives his Hummer, you know, rented that big house out in Vegas. And I just feel for the guy, honestly, as a whole, because it's just no way to live your life. But yeah, total sleeps back. And then James Garrison needs to probably go to jail. The, the whole, the whole fat guy on a jet ski. Oh my gosh, that had me. They just showed this super cool scene, like a Miami Vice bad boys type scene, cruising around on a jet ski, and just you got his shades on. It's so cool. My first question is just being in Oklahoma, like what lake is he at? And I wonder if it's like Lake Texoma. I think there might be a lake down kind of by the zoo by Winniewood, but I don't really know. But I'm just like, of course, of course. That's hilarious. But, yeah, don't like that guy at all. Total sleaze bag. Uh, I did like the joke that a young Rosie O'Donnell could play him in an adaptation, and I thought that was really funny. But really don't like that guy. Also a bad guy. So let's break down the rest of the characters. Howard Baskin is in a – I don't like him. I try to at least give him some respect, but the fact, the whole, you know what did it for me and I think what did it for a ton of people was the picture where he's dressed up as Bam Bam, she has him on a leash and he's on his hands and knees because that describes everything you need to know about him and I'm just, I'm just like, yep, nope. Don't like it. You just, he's just going along and he just likes to be there and I don't know. He's just, he's not a man to me, I guess. Oh, he went to... Union College. Hmm, never mind. 
I, I swear I saw somewhere that he like went to Harvard at some point and I was like, um, I mean, he's smart. He worked in strategic planning, finance and operations. Like he was management consultant with early stage and fast growing companies. So like, that's pretty good, you know? Uh, let's see. <clears throat> yeah, no, he's just, I mean, he's a smart guy. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't go to Harvard. He went to Union College. He went to Miami School of Law. Oh no, he did. He did. He got his MBA from Harvard Business. I knew it. So yeah, he went to Union College in New York, and then he got his. He went to School of Law in Miami, and then he got his MBA in business from Harvard. Dude's a smart guy. I'm just not a fan of him. I'll just say that. At all. <laughs> uh, to just man to man here, I'm just look at him like, no thanks, no thanks. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being kind of like a soft spoken like husband, where you know the the vocal kind of pants wearer is is the wife. But the way he does it to Carol, the problem is I just don't like Carol at all. And so, you know, he was so willing to go into that, and don't like him at all. Uh, next, we're gonna talk about we'll talk about some of the people that worked at GW Zoo. Jeez, I'm at 40 minutes. Well, then we'll wrap it up with uh, my Hollywood casting. So, Cowie. Cowie was, I think he's come to be one of the favorite characters, Eric Cowie. Because he, look, he stayed the same. He was consistent. Him and Rinky were consistent. And a lot of the other people, honestly, they were consistent. They knew why they were there. They were there for the animals. Take care of them. That became their livelihood, and that's what they were doing. And the best way to describe Cowie, and this might be my Halloween costume, was when he's in a small enclosed space pouring gas into a gas can with a lit cigarette. And he just smiles at the camera like, don't do this at home, kids. And uh, shout out to my friend Kalen, who you'll hear in subsequent interview where he, he breaks it down really good. I'm trying not to plagiarize there, but he brought that up. And I was like, yeah, that's absolutely true. That is 100% the best description of Cowie. And then uh, old No Legs Rinky, if you don't know who it is, guy with no legs. But John Rinky, he he honestly is probably my favorite character. Um, my least favorite is Carol, with the close mm, probably, gosh, it's probably a tie between Carol and Jeff Lowe. Those are my two least favorite characters. I absolutely do not like them, and I'm I mean I wouldn't like them as people either. Favorite characters probably either Rinky, or the drug lord, former drug lord I should say Al Pacino. <clears throat> uh person i would go to dinner with is man rinky or drug lord man my opinion flip my, so my flip-flop who's my flip-flop character i'm gonna say hmm you know i did appreciate the campaign manager a lot at first this is going to be weird, right? I appreciated the campaign manager a lot, but then by the end of it, I was like, dude, what are you still doing here? You willingly bought into this? No, nonsense. I'm over it. I'm over it. Now, it's fun to see, like, at first he's, like, clean-shaven, haircut, and plaid shirt, and, by the, and they show him interviews where he's, like, just in some ragtag clothes, not shaved, probably not showered, and I'm like, yeah, that's what Joe, that's what, that's what hanging out with Joe Exotic for a while does to you. But the fact that he willingly went in, and, and it's all because it's self-serving purposes. He openly admits, he says, yeah, I wanted to get into politics, and, you know, campaign manager's a dream. And so he didn't even, he ignored the whole craziness of Joe Exotic and understand and, and was willing to take the fact that I'm not a real campaign manager. Because honestly, for your political future, if that's really what you want to do, 
I don't think that's really going to help you that much. I mean, maybe if you had some success and you can say, look at the metrics here, but then people are going to say, you were Joe Exotic's campaign manager? You're dumb for taking that. You have poor judgment. That's what I would say. I was like, you were clearly, but game, name of the game of politics at the same time is to get, to get, you know, get your skin in the game. And just, I was out here trying to hustle, make moves and make, make a name for myself. And so, I mean, he's kind of my flip-flop guy because I think at the end of it, I'm just like, I don't, uh, I don't, I I don't give you any credit anymore, dude. You're no wrong, wrong, wrong. Like you're you're dumb. From the moment where you're like, yeah, campaign manager, I was like, okay, really, you're that. Not. But it is what it is. It's his life. So let's talk Hollywood adaptation. Boom boom. So I think I think you can't avoid this being a comedy in some sense. But it's just how over the top you want to be with it. And so that's what I think the adaptation would have to be. And you can go mockumentary or you could just go just a straight up mo- like a comedy movie. Or you can make both. Honestly. So uh, let's let's look. I'm going to bring up my notes. I've done a lot of research and I have a lot of options for most of the cast. And I, I think I'm going to pick my favorites. So I'm just going to go through some of them though. But for Joe Exotic, for instance, some of the some of the really good ones were I think Danny McBride, David Spade, just in uh, their look and their general personality. Dax Shepard would be really good. I think Johnny Depp could kill it. And then some some interesting ones like uh, Ben Stiller, you know, because Tony Perkis or White Goldman or Michael Keaton. I think <clears throat> my favorite though, honestly, and it's kind of my just initial thought was. I would I would honestly probably go for Dak Shepard or Danny McBride. Those would be my two. Just because if you've seen Eastbound and Down or Kenny Powers or anything with Danny McBride, you see the kind of arrogant a-hole that he constantly is, and it's all about himself no matter what. And he, he gets to play that same type of character and just in slightly different facets in everything that he's in. And so that's where I just say, yeah, absolutely. I think it's so fitting, and I think give him the Fu Manchu, give him the the Mo, like it's he fits it, he fits it, and I think Johnny Depp obviously he's been playing this part for years in Pirates of the Caribbean. He's just been a pirate instead of a tiger guy, but the eccentric, wild man, yeah, Johnny Depp could easily do this. So th- those would be my two picks for Joe Exotic because if I had to narrow it down to two, Doc Antle, oh, there's so many interesting ones. Um, there. <laughs> and this one's really, really tough to pick because John C. Riley, Will Ferrell are could so easily just do a Doc Antle. I think John Travolta could also play it in maybe a little bit more serious role, not necessarily in the mocking. I don't know. And then Tim Robbins, you may not be as familiar with this, so you may have to Google his name, but he played uh, Andy Dufresne in, and he looks really, really similar to. Doc, and I think he could fill it, but I think he would have to be in the like the non-mockumentary one. Like if it was a slightly more like it was just a movie and about the events and things that happened, and Tim Robbins played him. But I would go John C. Riley or Will Ferrell. They just they're too perfect. They could both fill the role so well. And picturing both of them with soul patch and a long white ponytail, and then like riding an elephant into the water and swimming around with the elephant. Like it's all so fitting. It's all so fitting. <laughs> so that would be my picks for Doc, Carol Baskin. Interesting ones. A lot of people like Kate McKinnon because they kind of see it kind of fitting, but Kate McKinnon would just be a younger Carol Baskin. I think if we're taking Carol Baskin at where she's at right now, I think my favorite is either Melissa McCarthy 
or oh no 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 scratch that Wendy McClendon. Now you may not know her. She's from she's from the Goldbergs maybe. She's the mom or something. She's also from Reno 911. She's the big chested girl. Or Patricia Arquette, who plays Kissing Kate Barlow in Holes. One of those two. If you don't know what they look like, Google them both and just like just sit there and be like, yeah, that is absolutely who I would cast. One of those two would be perfect. And I think they could either one of them could kill the role. It would be so great. Howard Baskin. I think Jeff Goldblum takes the cake here. I think he's the obvious pick. It's so like easily fitting. It's so so straight. I've honestly tried to think of other alternatives and I'm just like, you know, it's just so straightforward that yeah, I think it would I think awkwardly you could have Steve Buscemi play it, but Jeff Goldblum is just, would just be perfect. He would kill that role. Uh John Finley. If you don't know, this is the toothless husband who now has teeth. I think if you if since it's going to be a comedy going over the top like just getting someone just absolutely yoked. So, I like I like um Channing Tatum could kill it. Or Dave Batista, who is just overly large. And they're like, yeah, he's too buff for that. I said, that's the point, though. If you're, It's Hollywood, and they, they go to the extreme about it. It's the best-looking version of yourself in a lot of ways. Or it's the most. It's a caricature. That's the best way to describe Hollywood adaptations is you always get a caricature. You, you, you accent certain, certain characteristics and things. So one of those two, Channing Tatum or Dave Batista, hilarious. Dave Batista plays... Um, what's his face? Oh, I just lost his name. He's the buff, over literal guy in Guards of the Galaxy, Guardians of the Galaxy. Don't remember his name now. Don't hate me. Jeff Lowe. So many interesting parts for this one. I think. Oh gosh, I don't even remember all these names. <clears throat> um, but I think my two favorites, and this one was courtesy of. <clears throat> Courtesy of my buddy Kalen because this is who he picked. So I'm going to give him credit here. But I'm going to go with Dean Winters, who is the Mayhem guy from the Allstate commercials. You could avoid Mayhem like me. And I think that's fitting for like, <laughs> I could save your Tiger Park, but it's going to be Mayhem. Like if you if you hadn't partnered with me for your Tiger Park, you could avoid Mayhem like me. <clears throat> or Bruce Willis. Oh, man. You know Bruce Willis. He, he's got the squinty eyes. He can talk the right way. Like, just give the goatee and the clothes. And he's good. He's good. He's probably wearing a leather jacket or those jeans right now anyways. Like, you could literally just say, give Bruce Willis a 30-second snapshot of his character, and he could play him to a T, and you wouldn't have to give him any real lines. You just have to say, talk about this or that, or this is what the conversation is going to be about, and he could fit it to a T. All right, let's talk Ranky. Um, no legs guy, if you don't know, but <clears throat> I'm going to go with, so <laughs> I think Matthew McConaughey is a, would be a great pick for him. Just give him no legs and he's just reasonable in here and he talks about it. But I also think at the same time, I don't know where he fits, but Billy Bob Thornton needs to be in this in some way, shape or form. Just saying. I don't know where he fits, though. I think he could fit his... You know what? Nope, scratch it. I know exactly where he could fit. Forget I said that. Matthew McConaughey for Rinky. Um, you know, because you picture Matthew McConaughey in Dallas Buyers Club or um, any one of those things, and it fits. Cowie. Eric Cowie, the long-haired, long-blonde-haired uh, manager. I think Bill Hader would be hilarious, but I think Woody Harrelson or... <clears throat> 
Keanu Reeves would be my pick. One of those two guys. Because Woody Harrelson could fit that. He's already fit that type of guy in so many ways. Like Zombieland, Woody Harrelson, just give him the right, just give him the right hairstyle and, and clothes, and he's got it. And then I think Keanu Reeves, it's a it's a little bit off, but John Wick just dyes hair blonde, and, and, I mean, he could just go that route. He goes more the point-and-break route than the John Wick route, and it's fine. It totally fits for me. So, uh, Saf, Michelle Rodriguez is really the best one I've come up with. That one's been a weird one to try and figure out. She's the girl that lost her arm, and confusingly so. So many people have referred to her as him, and, like, in the Wondery thing, they keep saying him, so I don't know if she now identifies as a man or whatnot, but it's her name is Kelsey Saf, so I'm going with a girl. Travis, you don't know Travis Maldonado. He is the second husband who came in and sadly accidentally killed himself um very tragic but i think adam driver a lot of people have said i think pete davidson could also play him as much as like like i really don't like pete davidson i think he could play him or paul rudd so those are kind of my top three some people have said ashton kutcher too and i say absolutely but you'd need a young like kelso style ashton kutcher and i don't know if you can get that from Ashton Kutcher anymore. So I'm going to go with Adam Driver and Paul Rudd are my two tops for playing Travis. Now, Rick Kirkham. This is the guy who producing the television show um, who always wore the cowboy hat and was always smoking. Um, a lot of people's favorite have been J.K. Simmons because I think of his attitude and the way it comes across. But I think I th- I'm going to go with I like some people even say some weird ones, but also entertaining ones. Nick, if you had to fit Nicolas Cage in this film, he could be Doc Antle or he could be Rick Kirkham. So that's what I think. <laughs> that's what I w- am going to go with for for him is, uh, or no, not what I'm going to go with. I think I think that'd be really funny if you had to fit Nicolas Cage in here. You do it, but some, there's some really good ones like Steve Buscemi is a good option. Uh, I put Billy Bob Thornton in here. Like there's there's some good people that fit. I think Billy Bob Thornton, he's slowly become more of my favorite. Billy, I'm going to go Billy Bob Thornton or Steve Buscemi. Steve Buscemi just has the natural look already. Billy Bob Thornton kind of does too, but they both also kind of have the personality for it. So those are my two. Joshua Dial is the campaign manager. I think uh, Jonah Hill or Josh Gad, either one of those is perfect and would be great. Mario Trabro is the former drug lord. Just basically give Al Pacino all the Scarface stuff as if Scarface retired instead of got murdered. And bada bing, bada boom. James Garretson. Haley Joel Osment is who's the one from Secondhand Lions. There's another film I can't remember now. But that's been like a lot of the number one picks on the internet. <laughs> a really funny one I heard was Kathy Bates. <laughs> Would, <laughs> oh, that would be really funny. But... Um, I also like Danny McBride could also play him personally, but I like him better as Joe Bobby Moynihan who could be funny, but I, I, I don't think he qu- catch quite fits the sleazebag side of it as much. So I'm going to go with a Jack black or, and if you just want an uncanny resemblance in terms of how they look and, but you would never get him to play it. Alex Jones looks and him look and James Garrison look exactly like do a side by side on your phone. I'm going to go with Jack Black or Haley Joel Osment for James Garrison. Those are my top two choices. Then we have Alan Glover, which is uh, Jeff Lowe's right-hand man and the supposed hitman for it. 
I, at first I was like, John Malkovich, you know, was kind of cool, be kind of funny. But then I saw this the other day on someone's and you know who I real? I think we all realize this, you know, who Alan Glover is in real life, or I mean, in TV, he's Creed Bratton who plays Creed Bratton on the office. Because all the jokes about Creed where he's like killed someone or done a crime and like shady, but like he doesn't ever come out right and say it. That is freaking Alan Glover. And who else could you see in TV sitting back and going, well, yeah, they they gave me three grand and I guess I just didn't make it. I don't know what happened, but I ended up in South Carolina and I guess I just partied it all away. That's a Creed Bratton line. Like you could put that in the office anywhere and I'd be like, oh yeah, that's from the office, right? That wasn't said by Alan Glover. So Creed is Alan Glover in every sense. It's too perfect. But, and then for fun, you know, the, the lady, I don't remember her name, but I call her former wife of Doc Antle, one of his wives who they interviewed and she lives in Iowa. Anna Kendrick, I think could fit her perfectly or the girl from uh, Last Man Alive. Uh, you know who I'm talking about. She's, she also worked with Flight of the Concords as Mel and a lot of their skits. She could be that girl, but I think Anna Kendrick would be fun. So, but that's my cast. Um, just a quick recap. I think Joe Exotic is going to be Dan McBride, or who's the other one I said? Or Dax Shepard. Thank you. Doc Antle, John C. Riley, Will Ferrell. Either one. Carol Baskin, Patricia Arquette, or Wendy McClendon. Howard Baskin, Jeff Goldblum. Tom fin- John Finley, Channing Tatum, or Dave Batista, Jeff Lowe, Dean Winters, or Bruce Willis. Thank you. Rinky, Matthew McConaughey, Cowie, Woody Harrelson, or Keanu Reeves. Saf, Michelle Rodriguez, Travis, Maldonado. I think he's going to be Adam Driver or Paul Rudd. Rick Kirkham. We're going to go with Billy Bob Thornton or Steve Buscemi. Joshua Dial, Josh Gad or Jonah Hill. Mario Trabro, Al Pacino. Tabro, Al Pacino. James Garrison, Haley Joel Osment or Jack Black. Alan Glover is going to be Creed Bratton and then former wife of Doc Antle, Anna Kendrick. And that's my cast for the Hollywood adaptation. And I think, I think there needs to be two versions. I would want a mockumentary and then also I would want a... Just like this, just a regular movie, you know, that's like a comedy of some type where it's just like an action comedy and they just action it up a lot and it becomes a lot more exciting and you could maybe have some more serious characters, but that's my cast. So I want to know who would you cast? And I've actually been working on conducting interviews and I've conducted several interviews with friends and family and gotten their takes and cast. I'm trying to basically do either a small series or one mega episode where I, it's, This is going to be, I'm going to lead with my take here and what you just got and we're going to move in and next you're going to hear from certain other friends and family members of mine and get their takes and try and get, you know, see what all people thought and kind of build a little small series or or mega episode where you can kind of see, oh, here's here's a lot of the different, you know, basic views and I think a lot of people ended up in the same in the same wheelhouse, but that's uh, that was my take. I think Carol was involved in the disappearance of her former husband. I don't like Carol, Doc, Jeff Lowe, James Garrison, Alan Glover, or frankly Joe Exotic. He's endearing from the sense of that he like he's just so flippin' naive. But I don't even really like Joe Exotic either. I think he deserves to be in prison, not for as long as he is. I think Jeff Lowe needs to go to jail, and so does James Garrison, Alan Glover included. Uh, I think all these big cat operations need to be effectively shut down and what needs to really be developed is some type of 
basically reintroducing, like a lot of places do this, and I'm sure there is places, but a reintroduction, a reserve where you where you can reintroduce these animals and get them to a point where you can re-release them to the wild. Basically, like most rescues are, when they rescue animals in distress who have either been captured and be been victims of something or just got injured or something or almost killed by a poacher and they bring them, they nurse them back to health and they get them back into the wild. That's what this needs to be. Barring certain exceptions where there are cats who maybe like legitimately for totally reasonable health causes can't be really released back into the wild. But that concludes my take on this. Thank you for listening. Feel free to email me at theramblingviking at gmail.com. I hope you enjoy hearing all the other takes that I have interviewed on this, including um, my friends and family, and would love to know your take and your cast. I'll see if I can post a link to... to um, this one great Reddit cast, if I can find it. This guy posted a picture, though, and it, he didn't provide any names, so I don't know a couple of names, but of his cast, and it's a really, really good cast. There's so many good options out there, and I think it's become a fun game. Also, I think there's going to be so much Joe Exotic or Tiger King-related Halloween costumes, I'm trying to figure out who I want to be. And I'm thinking Cowie with the cigarette and a gas can in hand are, are who I want to be. I'm not actually going to smoke it, though, but... If you, which Tiger King character would you dress up for as Halloween? But uh, let me know any of all your thoughts. Thanks for listening. Hope you guys enjoyed my take on Tiger King. I know everyone's giving it, but might as well join into the fun, right? All right.